Welcome to Book Reporter Talks To, a podcast from the Book Report Network, where we host in-depth conversations with authors about the books that we love. We know authors cannot travel everywhere, so we want to bring them to you, wherever you may be. Welcome to our latest episode of Book Reporter Talks To. It's our first one of 2024, where our guest today is Katherine Faulkner, and we are going to be talking about her latest thriller, a book I absolutely love which is called The Other Mothers. Yes, folks, it's The Other Mothers. I want to talk a little bit about what other mothers mean. It's a book reporter bets on selection. It was one of my last of 2023, which is just like her first book, Redditch Park, which I loved and I love talking to her about it, I guess now a couple of years ago. So here we go again. Um, before we get started, I want to tell her that in our first, our book reporter interview, Nora Peel had this to say about the book. The tension and suspense ratchet up slowly but surely, with nearly every chapter in the book's second half containing some new and unexpected revelation. I will say that is completely true. And with that intro, Catherine, welcome. So good to see you again. Oh, so good to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's start by you giving us your overview of The Other Mothers. Sure. So The Other Mothers tells the story of Tash, who is a new mother investigative journalist trying to relaunch her career after the birth of her son um so she's looking for her next big scoop um and she's also looking for something else she's looking for friends to help her navigate motherhood she's feeling kind of lonely finding it challenging trying to juggle everything loves her son but has been kind of felt that her career has been pushed to the side a bit she's very keen to get back into it and she finds these other women at her son's playgroup, which is in a much more affluent area than when she, where she and her husband are able to live. Um, and they are mothers who seem to have such a seductive life, mm -hmm. um, another version of motherhood, which uh, where the playdates take place in beautiful houses and the wine flows freely and nobody's worrying about the cost of childcare and there's nannies on demand and macrobiotic recipe boxes and flower subscriptions and all the rest of it. And Tash finds these, these women very seductive and is sort of surprised and delighted when they invite her into their exclusive little clique. Um, but then she starts investigating the death of a local nanny called Sophie, Blake, who um, died in a beauty spot, was found drowned. And she's convinced that this could be the um, scoop she's been waiting for. But as she, the more she investigates Sophie's death, the closer her investigation brings her to the other mothers who have befriended her and invited her into their exclusive little world. And she starts to wonder where, why, whether maybe there's a reason that she's been invited into this group and, in fact, starts to wonder who's really investigating who. Mm -hmm. Who really is going to, trying to find out, what do you know? How much do you know about what's been yeah. going on? It's, it's just so much. It's, I tell you, I've heard this book called The Dark Side of Motherland. And I think that's <laughs> like so perfect about it because it's you getting to know these women but what is really going on? What's really the story? And you're trying to really, she has this little boy, Finn, who really doesn't fit in. And he's having mm -hmm. trouble getting used to being at school. And now she's sitting there, she's finding some place where he, one mother kind of beckons him and says, hey, come play with my child. And it's his gateway in. So she feels like she has to be friends with these women because it's her gateway for her son as well as herself. 
For and sure. Then, and that's why these relationships are so fraught, right? Because they're all tied up in our hopes and dreams from worries and fears for our children. And we're massively projecting onto them all these social anxieties. And we feel like if we don't succeed socially, then neither will they. So it's all way more fraught than usual kind of human interaction. And we have to have them in with these children, because if they do, this is going to happen. I remember when my children were in about second grade, one of the mothers were at baseball game. She turned around, she goes, when do you think VG plus stops? And I said, what do you mean? She goes, when do they all stop getting that on the paper? Because right now everybody's getting very good plus. She goes, and they're all not going to Harvard. So like, at what point does it stop? And I just sat there and went, you know, there's kind of like something there because all you're trying to get them to all be the same for a very long time. And then somebody's going to start excelling, but at what, at what point? And I think what she's trying to do right now is just have her son fit in. And then someday she's going to want him to not want to be a part of a crowd. But right now it's all about you fit in, I fit in, I'll drink the big latte because they are, so you fit in. Am I right? Yeah. Exactly right. She's absolutely desperate for him to fit in. And but she's also there's something else going on with her as well. She's very aspirational. And she lives in a city where there are huge wealth disparities. And she and her husband are well qualified, educated people, they work really hard, but they don't earn the big bucks. And they live in a kind of modest basement flat. And they look and she looks at these other women and she just can't understand why she can't have the life that they have and she's completely intrigued by the way they live and and the way that they make motherhood look so easy right because all this money greases the wheels of everything makes everything easier so there's just a lot there's a lot going on she wants her son to fit in at the playgroup she wants him to be happy and settled and that's a big part of it but it's really hard to disentangle that to this from this kind of interest she has in having a better life for herself as well as her family and her complete fascination with the women who seem to have what she wants as well yeah and it's like what does it take does it take oh going to the spa together is that going to make us friends is going out for lunch together is shopping together just being with each other where where does it and her husband's not grasping this at all at the same time he's like why he's a doctor so he has not left his career she's the one who's left hers and he's just there like, well, why does this matter? Why do these women matter? And he's not understanding where she's coming from at all. Which I think is so common because their experience of parenthood is so different. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's in, in, I mean, I'm generalizing, but it, usually it's the woman who feels that they have to give up their career. And sometimes I think we women don't help ourselves because usually it's the women who want to, right? They're like, mm-hmm. no, I want to be there. I want to, I need to be there. I'm a bad mother if I'm not there at the playgroup gates or the school gate at so many hours a week and I need to do so our careers take and and we tend to earn less right because of the gender pay gap so it almost always becomes no let's compromise my career but it leads to such a confused identity I think sometimes and a real it can really affect our confidence you know not not having a career in the same way that we used to before children and our sense of who we are which takes a battering when you become a mother anyway, right? Because there are so many things that used to be part of the person you thought you were, all the things that you used to do with your spare time that you can't do anymore. So then you're like, well, who am I, who's this person who's left over, this person who's just constantly cooking pesto pasta? Like, who, where did I go? And then if you're not working as much, that's also part of it. It's part of that personal loss you feel. And sometimes I think men just don't get any of this stuff because their lives basically carry on 
as before, I was reading some research that actually men's careers go from strength to strength when they have children. They tend to actually get promoted. Mm -hmm. It tends to actually look good for them if they have like a family and they're seen as this. Whereas for women, it's obviously like the worst thing that can happen to your earnings. It just completely plateaus or drops off after you have children, um, even if you've had really steep progression in your 20s or before that. So it's all, yeah, it's all, um, it, that all that stuff is in the mix for her and her husband, Tom, for sure. I remember when I got pregnant, I think it was my, with my first son, five of us were pregnant at the same time because it was, everybody was the same age group. And they're like, like, what are we gonna do those months? <laughs> like all these people are gonna be out, who's first, who's second? And I said, you know, when I said I was pregnant, I didn't mean for everybody to get pregnant. It was like, <laughs> this is not the follow the leader thing, but it's hard because women are gonna be out for a period of time, then they're gonna come back. And I also find it really interesting right now because people are pushing for longer maternity leaves. And I'm like, okay, that's great. But what you really want is time to go to softball. And you really want time to take them to the doctor when they're three or mm-hmm. to go to that, you know, costume exhibit, what they're going to be doing for Halloween when they're four. And mm. I think that everybody's so hung up on those first days. And then it's like, yeah, but there's a lot of time that's needed later on. And then there's a the balance of, I have a lot of friends who've never had children. And they're like, well, we've picked up the slack every single time in the office and maybe they've gotten ahead, but there are other people who've done well who have kids. So it's like, well, we're, Where's the line? Where's the where's the marching point? I think, and all of these things create these most fascinating kind of psychological, these contours of and difficulties between women and these tensions. And I find all of that so interesting. All of our different choices that we make in life, and all of our different experiences. Every, all of us as women have a relationship with motherhood, even if we're not mothers, right? Because yeah. we have to. We have a mother, and we also have this societal expectation that we're going to be a mother, even yeah. if it's you know nothing could interest us less. So we all have this. This is a dynamic for us women of a certain age. We have we have to define ourselves within motherhood or against it in some in some form, you yeah. know, um, and. Um, and that's just something that society forces on us and there's nothing much we can do about it. Um, and I think sometimes in order to justify our choices in regards to that, we have to kind of slightly denigrate the choices of others or there's a human impulse to do that or to get frustrated with the choices of others. You know, if you're the person who always works the unpopular time to work because other women are pulling the motherhood card you know of course that's just so annoying and it and I I find all of but I find all those tensions between women really interesting to write about so it's all good for me (laughs) yeah and you know and what's also changed a lot too is now you can work remotely now you can work at home at night now you can work like when I left there was no like let's look like I think email was beginning yeah it was like the beginning of sending email to each other but it wasn't deep into this is how you interact. Now it's like going to the office is like a big deal. <laughs> like, mm, oh, I'm going to go to the office on Tuesday. You know, what a big deal. But yeah. you know, I also love that she's um she's also seeing that this is a time for her to be a journalist and get into the story because she's trying to find a story she can wrap her chops around. So this um nanny's missing, she's found dead. Like, okay, this is the story I'm gonna write. This is the one I'm going to attach myself to. And I think that's like so interesting because there are stories that are happening all around you when this is, but this is a big story of what she thinks she can do. But these other women don't really want her to tell the story. They don't want her to talk about this other person that wasn't the mother, that wasn't who was going on. So so nobody seems to want her to tell the story. You know, her husband is very 
skeptical about it and is kind of seems to be discouraging her looking into it thinks it's you know she's making a big leap saying that this unexplained death was actually a murder um the other mothers are very closed when she tries to talk to them about it and then of course she starts getting threatening messages so there's someone out there who really doesn't want her to talk so um the um, but actually the kind of person that she is you know there's a saying about journalists that they're the people running towards the flames when everybody else is running away you know they want to be at the heart of a story even if you know and somebody telling them back off is like red rag to a bull you know so for her that's like no I'm going to expose you I'm going to find out what happened here this just tells me that there is a story that I my instincts are right and I'm going to come after it so I'm coming right for you I'm coming right for you in the story so when she's um doing this she's like you know she's looking for the story does this mirror a little bit about who you were that you were a journalist and you're still looking for a story and yeah For sure. I mean, I I was a journalist for over 10 years and I worked as an investigative journalist and news reporter, um, both here and abroad. And I I I did in undercover work, you know, I did lots of different reporting in lots of different guises. And, you know, I love a good story. And and that's my that's my that was my training and my whole career. And it's only the past year or so that I've been writing as an author full time. And I miss it, to be honest. <laughs> it's a, It was a big part of my life. And it's interesting you say about going into the office being a big deal. You know, I used to love the office and I miss the office. You know, being a full-time author is so dreamy in so many ways. You know, I can do it from anywhere and I can sit in a cafe with my coffee and my laptop and just think about imaginary characters and all of that is so nice. But yeah, you know, um, journalism and the adrenaline of that I I've just I I love and and yeah I was very I would like to think I was pretty dogged in pursuit of my stories and but I I they gate the the process of being a journalist gave me so many so much inspiration for my books and um and obviously journalist characters are very useful in thrillers because they can dig around and they can find things out but also part of my inspiration for the other mothers was I found it fascinating when I was working as a journalist, the gap sometimes between what you can report and the truth and the real story. Mm -hmm. You can never quite get to it. It's always just a bit unattainable as a journalist. You get as close as you possibly can. This is something that Tash says to Tom at one point, her husband, because he's saying, well, you don't know the full story. You've got these bits, but you don't have all the facts. And she's saying, you never do. That's not how journalism works you do as best you can and the interesting thing I hope about the book is that you see her piece together what she can of what's left of this story but then you also hear from Sophie Mm -hmm. and who you know is going to die but you hear in the months before her death this is how every time Tash finds something out you hear from Sophie okay so this is how it really happened yeah and and what I find fascinating is that that gap is really unbridgeable, you know, for, for a courtroom to find out what happened. It will never be quite the same as the vivid lived reality of the of the people who were there. And then what happens happened to them before and what happened afterwards, all of that is never is never part of the public consciousness. And so, yeah, I wanted to play around with that gap, I guess, in in writing the book. Yeah, and you completely did because we start to know some things because of Sophie, but then we don't know other things. And then she thinks that certain people know things, but they don't, and then they do. And it's just, it, it's just like a, it's a real play among all the characters that are going on. It's much bigger than Greenwich Park even was. And I could see like a, on, 
an advancement, I can say. And um, I, if I was writing a report card, I would give great progress. <laughs> great pro- I, figured, I figured that's a good way to do it. Great progress, you know, blah, 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 blah. You know, and it's <laughs> like, oh, she's doing so well with this. And, you know, it's funny because a lot of parents send their children to school at certain places just so they can hang with those parents because those are the parents that are going to have the good fundraisers and those are the parents that are going to go to the great places and hear about it. And a lot of it is positioning the family as well as positioning the child, like how I'm going to position us. And what Tasha's really seeing is we can't afford this life. And she's going into debt to hang out with these women. Like she's, yeah. she can't afford the latte. She can't afford the beauty treatment. She can't afford all this stuff. When somebody says they're going to put it on their card, she doesn't feel it's a gift. She feels like it is charity and mm-hmm. it's not the way she wants to feel. So there's that whole look at the whole thing as well. Yeah, for sure. I think she really struggles with that. And I think a lot of people who live in London or other kind of expensive cities in the world, it's the same, you know, there are so many people pretending to be able to afford the lifestyle that other people can, and and they really can't, you know, Um, and she doesn't even want them to come to her house for a play date because she doesn't want them to know that she lives in this tiny flat and they don't even have a car at the moment. And um, yeah, she feels kind of embarrassed, but there's nothing to be embarrassed about. I mean, she is a working professional her husband is a really hard-working professional as well but that's the kind of crazy thing about these situations you know they're the kind of people who did all the quote-unquote right things they right. went to school but you know they're, they're just working in professions where they're not making a lot of money um whereas you know the other women in this group um because their partners work in finance or they run a business or whatever they just have all this money and so their whole experience of life is completely different um and and Tash finds it really frustrating you know she wants to give that life to her her sons and in a way I think maybe she thinks getting close to these women is is the best way of doing it because Mm -hmm. she knows she can't really afford it but she can kind of give him the illusion of it or give them both the illusion of it um and whereas her husband doesn't care about all that stuff so he doesn't so that creates a tension as well in their marriage because he doesn't understand why on earth she needs to spend you know five pounds on a latte or a croissant or whatever when he's there in his hospital scrubs you know just bringing his pat lunch into work and one of the other mothers works with him which makes it even more complicated. And there's a complication that happens with that later on in the book. I can't give a lot away. This is, it's like we almost (laughs) have to have everybody go read the book and then come back and we'll talk about this. But I feel that um, there's that kind of, what can happen with that kind of strife as well? Because a woman is working with your husband and where can can the story twist over there as well? So there, there are a lot of different angles, but she sees also what they're missing from their lives. Like as time goes on, she begins to see that. She has one um, husband that she thinks is looking at porn at one point. She thinks that this is going on. And she's seeing these people because she investigates. She's looking into their lives differently than they are. And in some ways, she's getting ready to move back from these very successful worlds that she wants to be yeah. in. That's right. She's got this push and this pull going on. She's on one level, she's very seduced by the way they live, all the beautiful houses all the kind of the fact that they're so welcoming to her on the surface and you know she wants that life you know this lifestyle for her son but at the same time she's she can't help but kind of scratch the surface of this perfect reality and every time she does she keeps finding more things that don't quite add up yeah and one of the one of the husbands maybe looks like he might have been linked to a me too scandal at work or 
you know and then another one is very flirtatious and what's that all about and then yeah and then there's this other woman who's who seems to want to be her best friend but works with her husband and her husband doesn't seem to want to be friends with her so what's going on there and so yeah there's a lot um there's a lot under the surface and I think there is always a certain pleasure in kind of clawing away the perfect surface of people who whose lives seem to have it all and finding out what what's really underneath there so I hope that that's fun for the reader it is and then there's a parallel character which is Sophie which is Sophie's like if she's like the the mother who doesn't belong Sophie's the nanny to the very wealthy family and Sophie starts to see herself differently as well we can't give anything away there but Sophie starts to feel like she's living the life as well like living la vida loca even though she's <laughs> yeah. not there you know and she what happens produced in a different way, isn't she, by yes, the idea yes. of, of of the way that these mothers are living? But she also has a kind of unique insight into the reality behind this gilded lifestyle. Because as a nanny, you see everything. You know, mm -hmm. she says at one point, um, "You just can't keep secrets when you live in a house with someone." She's she's a live-in nanny, so she just knows all. You know, she sees the spit left in the sink in the morning, and the you know the bits of like hair that are shaved off and she knows exactly like what's in the bins and what's in the laundry and you know it's so intimate it's so mm -hmm. intimate having somebody in your house um and especially somebody who's entrusted with caring your children and loving your children mm -hmm. you know it's a loving relationship they do become like part of the family and yet they're not and that tension yeah. I found absolutely fascinating so yeah she's um she's a very kind of interesting character and she gives us a particular insight into the family that she works for. yeah and what she's also got that and then she, they also they want her the woman wants her to go back to that end of the house like don't come out yeah. of your she basically says don't come out of your part of the house at night like yeah. you stay over there that's where you belong we live over here and even at that point it's like which whose roles are which and assigning a role as an employer it becomes a different thing from just being a friend. So they're like, you know, wandering around it. Like, well, wait, what do I do? I don't leave this part of the house. Why? You know? Yeah, it's very hard to set those boundaries. And I think some women want it both ways. With you know, mm -hmm. those and I, you see those relationships go very wrong because you're you're asking an awful lot of somebody, and then you're asking them to kind of disappear when when they're no longer convenient to you. And I think the whole that whole dynamic between women and their nannies, I find totally fascinating. So yeah, and so it was really important to me to kind of flesh her out fully as a character. You know, she's not a kind of prop in the life of somebody else. She was a really important character who had her own story and her own, yeah, her own presence in the book. And I do love that she is no longer important to her. You know what I mean? I just love that. She's no longer, you know, like important for her to have around. We don't need you around anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, you have what have your mom friends said about your work? I'm sure that a lot of them are saying, <laughs> oh, gee, I don't really want to be in this book, please. You know what I mean? I don't really want to be in this. Please don't put me in this book. <laughs> yeah, it's really funny. When I told them the title, they were like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, the other mothers. <laughs> like what? So us? <laughs> They're not you. They're others, not you. They're the other mothers, not the my others, friends. Other mothers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no, they find it really hilarious and they constantly try and send me bits of the book and they're like oh 
this was Amy, wasn't it? Or this was Sophie, or this was like, I'm like, no, because obviously like, it's not, they're not actually real people. But at the same time, it is, um, it is really, fun. I think they find it really fun because the other mothers is set exactly where we live as well I mean I wrote it a lot in, I wrote, wrote most of it in lockdowns couldn't go far <laughs> go around so, the block, come back yeah, literally, I was like oh well I guess I'll write about this park where I am allowed to go um and so yeah um and so that's fun for them but yeah I think the um I think of Greenwich Park was funny because Greenwich Park is set in an antenatal group where there's this very weird dynamic emerges between two women in the antenatal group. And my antenatal group found that so funny. And they all messaged me to be like, did you base this book on this particular person in the group? <laughs> it was kind of strange. I think she's, I think I can safely talk about it because she's like moved away. But um, <laughs> she was kind of an oddball. And, um, and uh, yeah, and so there was quite a lot of... Um, suspicion that uh that's where I got the I mean but of course I did get the idea from from that experience you know and right up there's some of the details right up to like the jammed up windows that we couldn't open it was really hot in there and in the classes and you know and and just the intensity of that and being forced to basically be friends with this group of random people who happen to be having a baby at the same time as you um was really was really intense and really strange and definitely did inspire my kind of real life experiences but yeah I think I think um mostly they just find it very entertaining to be honest there may be some people who no longer talk to me anymore but I <laughs> haven't noticed them maybe some maybe some from my life <laughs> there's like okay you're gone that's fine well you know it's funny because I remember when we talked the last time I said that the thing that I was the most concerned at when people were going around the room in prenatal classes like labor delivery I'm like the other mother so when I saw the title of this book I'm like she must have been listening last time when I said that yeah. the other mothers that's where she got the title from so I'll take Brett now but it was very very funny because I said yep it's exactly the way you feel because it is you and the other mothers and sometimes it's the other mothers that you're close to and sometimes it's the other mothers <laughs> it goes both ways definitely yeah. goes both ways you know the book opens it's April 2019 and Tasha's in a police station and we wonder what's going on like what's happening and it's what I call the cold open of the book. Sometimes it's called the prologue. I call it the cold open when it's one of these. Did you write that later or was that something you did like up front? Because you've got her there and then we go back to September 2018. Yeah, no, I knew it would end up there. Okay. Um, and I had had the idea for that finale in Cornwall when I was in Cornwall when I wrote it quite early that part so but I didn't quite know what had happened I mean I kind of wrote it without knowing exactly what would have happened to lead up to that point if that makes sense yeah. I'm a very scattergun sort of writer really I, I don't have a very whenever I describe my process to people it never sounds sensible <laughs> um, but I I knew that there would there it's just I kind of I know certain things about the story and then the rest of it I think for me, I have to leave a bit of creative space to fill in the gaps. And I just kind of trust that we'll get there. But I knew that something terrible was going to happen on this. I love the idea of them all going 
away to one of their holiday homes in Cornwall yeah. I mean having a holiday home in Cornwall is like the ultimate social faux pas that all the rich people do in London anyway you know because it's this place that's been like overrun by holiday homes and it's really controversial and <laughs> all the people local people in Cornwall hate it understandably because all the rich Londoners just buy up all these beautiful properties so it's the exact kind of thing that these kind of women would do <laughs> and um but Dash is obviously kind of loving the idea of going there and tagging along and um I I so I wanted this the, the story to kind of climax there um but yeah I didn't I I worked out quite a lot of the detail later about like how how what would lead up to that confrontation and that <laughs> and that disaster and then what would happen afterwards because obviously there's more twists to come there are more twists there are more twists you know <laughs> and you know we go to different points of view we move from one timeline to the next and sometimes the shop chapters are really short even though it's tosh it's two pages then it's three pages and i feel like one of the things that you're actually have all writers have to write tours right now is there's so much streaming content out there that moves so quickly so you can't yeah. labor a story down anymore because that's not the way people are used to experiencing storytelling at all whether it's visual or written storytelling am I on to something there yeah for sure I think I think you have to work hard to keep your reader interested and I think you know that was part of the discipline that I learned as a journalist was really the hook and getting people and you have to be quite tough on yourself sometimes but it's also what I like as a reader mm -hmm. it's also kind of taste you know and I I like thrillers like that you know and towards the end of the book if the pace isn't kind of picking up quick enough, then I think it's something's wrong. You know, it has to be, it should feel like that. You know, yeah. you've, you, you've put in all the work at the beginning um, and the payoff is when the pace really starts to ramp up. Um, so I think, yeah, I think it's partly because, because thriller readers are very sophisticated and they get through a lot of thrillers and the mm -hmm. competition out there. I mean, there's so many people writing good thrillers, right? So the bar is high and you have to, um, I think I I think and it's just not being self-indulgent as well you know just get rid of anything that doesn't serve the story I think being a journalist helps with that I'm quite brutal on myself with my editing it just kind of right. chuck out great big chunks of thing but you're out of here Sorry. you're out of here <laughs> you're out you're gone we don't need you but yeah I think short short chapters are quite uh, are a good thing and some thrillers right now I feel are all sounding the same like they're all it, it's vanilla and to find something that's got chocolate and strawberry and a cherry on top is different because there's a lot that's very, very rote. And I was seeing that a lot last year. There was a lot that was this. So when I read this, it was like different storyline, the way it was being written. And I remember you were saying when we, we talked last time, you're not a potter, but you prefer discovering the story as you write. And then mm -hmm. you go back later and see how to improve it. And I think you've called it refining and I think that's a very elegant way to call it, but it's editing, but it's refining. I'm refining my work. But I think that for writing it cold and then doing that, you're right. It's a lot of what you did as a journalist is you had to hone it back. You had 1500 yeah. words. You didn't have a word more. Yeah, for sure. I think that's right. And I think with, um, but the, partly it's because of the, the way that I enjoyed writing. And for me, it is a process of creative discovery, actually, the sitting down and writing. Sometimes I start a scene and I, I have ideas as I'm writing it about where it could go. 
and they kind of come to me and sometimes character my characters do things that I wasn't expecting them to do and for me that's what makes it exciting and if I had a spreadsheet where I had scene by scene this is going to happen and this is going to happen I had it all plotted at the beginning and I just stuck to that and wrote it out for me that would feel really boring right um, and unrewarding and I don't think I would stick with it and so for me the whole fun of the book is partly discovery so I'll kind of lean into the bits that I, I'll have a sense of the story and I'll know some of the landmarks are wrong, along the way and I'll have a kind of idea about roughly how it could end but often a lot changes in the writing and that's to me what is what's fun but but then in order to get that feeling that it's really tightly plotted and correctly paced you do then have to go back and think okay so how now that I know how it ends how can I really boil it down to that story and make sure that it's working enough for the reader mm. and that those twists are coming at the right moments um but that's fun as well that's the part that's kind of like a jigsaw puzzle it's all all the parts of it are fun except for the copy edits that come at the end but you know yeah. they have to be done as well <laughs> you see the words over and over and over and over yeah. and it's like it's like I'm and, done with this now <laughs> and you're sort of like wait did I really write that when did I write that how did I write that line can I change that line no 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 you know yeah thank you so you you talk about it, you've heard you talk about it, you always love to write do you like to rewrite and edit like I know there's a part of it that's brutal but do you really like that honing and refining and tossing or is it just pure drudge I find cutting hard sometimes but in general I do like editing because I feel like once you have a, a whole draft the first edit I do really enjoy because you've got something to play with it's like you have your lump of clay you've done all that but and now you can make it into something really really good and it's never the first got draft is never good mm -hmm. and that's what I'm trying to remind myself at the moment because I'm coming towards <laughs> the end of a first draft it's never good so it's fine it's fine that it's not good because the second draft is where you make it into something that really shines and that is rewarding because you can see it getting better all the time as you're editing um so yeah I don't I, I like all of all of that part of the process for sure and I think um and I also like, and also you get to a point where you need outside input and, you know, with the other mothers, had a wonderful editor who just helped me really see what the, what was going wrong with it when, because I was doing something really structurally ambitious. And she said, you know, you've just chosen something really hard to do here. And so yeah. that's why it's hard to pull it off and make it work perfectly. Um, but it was about the chapters talking to each other, even when they weren't the same timeline. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that clicked once once I'd done that kind of probably about the fourth draft, to be honest, but it did click eventually. Um, and then that's hugely satisfying. And you think, oh, no, there's just, there, there is a really good book here. I'm now brilliant. I'm now brilliant. <laughs> I've turned my brilliance has just turned around, you know, da, 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 you know. <laughs> I know, but it's so funny because so many times in the process you think this is going to be, no, this isn't going to work. People are going to say it's not as good as Greenwich Park. You know, that was my huge fear is that people would say, oh, she did Greenwich Park. That was good. But this one wasn't so good. But, you know, no one's, it just no. has, people no. really like it. And yeah. some people say, oh, well, I love them both, but I preferred Greenwich Park. But most people actually prefer this one. Mm -hmm. um, and, and if people, you know, and if some people prefer Greenwich Park, that's fine, but they're not disappointed, you know, yeah. they're like, people have different favorites, but it's, it's um, been, the reaction has been absolutely amazing. Yeah. 
it's really, it's, it, they're good companions to each other as well. I yeah. think you can see how you moved ahead in your craft and you can definitely see it because that's the reason I asked to read the book because it was like, wait, I really want to get a look at this and I want to see what she did, how she moved in a different direction. And you really did. And it's also, it's like, okay, these are the mothers before, this is the mothers later. <laughs> like this, yeah. is, this is women, <laughs> this is what happens to them after the birthing class. This is where they go from here. Yeah, they end up. And I know the cover is different in the UK, but like, did you have a hand in what this cover was? Because it's really her on the outside. I see looking in, but looking in at no, what? I, you know, I loved it straight away. And I think it's exactly right for the novel. Um, yeah, I really, I because I think people on covers are really hard. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't work. But right. the way that it's been done here with the looking at the back of her looking in and then these kind of shadowy figures. I Yeah, I absolutely love it. Yeah, so it's like, is it the mother and the nanny? Is it the husband and the wife? Like, who is it? Who is she in there? And is she talking? Yeah, I know. Everyone asks me, like, who are they? So which one's which? I'm like, well, I think it's, I guess it's Sophie and Claire, but I, you know, yeah, you want them to be. Yeah, it could be the other mothers talking about each other. You don't, don't know. Exactly. You don't know what's going on. What's the line yeah. at the top? Next level, mum noir. I like that. <laughs> Smart, tense, and gripping. I loved it from Ella Lee Lloyd. And I just love that. Like next level mum noir. So there you are. You have your own, you have your own category, mum noir. You know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> mum noir. It's huge. It's a huge, it's a huge category. I'm building it myself, you know. <laughs> yeah. So um is the cover we you had a hand? Did you have any hand on it or did they just show that to you and you said brilliant? No, I hardly had any involvement. They're so good, you know, and I just loved it. I didn't really want to do anything to it. We wondered about having scratchiness on it, like they had with Greenwich Park. It's that mm -hmm. slight scratchiness on the cover. Right. But I think it kind of made it look like there was a disco going on in there or mm -hmm. something. Like it just didn't work with the windows. So anyway, yeah, I did. I honestly hardly any involvement. No, I, I really liked it as soon as I saw it. I just do these things. I just do it from there. You know? Okay. So um, did you have any hand in the audio and is the audio the British or is it like in America? Do we have the British edition of the audio? I think do we, we have, have the our, same. Oh. Yeah. The British. Same, um, same. Yeah. Even though in the American edition, they'll obviously, oh, actually, no, is that right? Because there'll be different words. Yeah. It's yes, did you have the words in the American yeah, edition? Loads of words, you know, because my book is very, very British in its, mm -hmm. in its raw form and it's <laughs> incomprehensible apparently to North American readers so I have to change all my bins to trash cans and all my biscuits to cookies and all my um pavements to sidewalks but I don't mind that you know whatever works um it really doesn't bother me at all sometimes I get fussy about dialogue because obviously they are British characters right but really it's not it's um it's never been a process I actually find it completely fascinating which words translate and don't what was the one we struggled with roundabouts do you know roundabouts. we have we have circles they're called circles they're not called roundabout like you go a like circle this circle is a very broad category some people get off at different places so you, go, you right but you I know think, what i'm talking about well if you live in new jersey you know what they are because we have a lot of circles but okay. if people move here from someplace else <laughs> you don't know what they're doing and my mom learned to drive late in life this is a very funny story and there was one circle that we had to go around and she says okay Everyone be quiet. I'm going to drive around the circle. And there'd be cars coming in for a while. She goes, 
oh, just hope no one else comes in. And there would be in her little turquoise Corvair, like moving around in a circle. And, and then she'd go like, like we're on, and then we're on the main road. And then she's not the least bit nervous. The roundabout, which was had her completely terrified, you know? So yeah, it was very funny. I, I, yeah, it was, I find it really funny, the back and forth with the US copy editors, like, what is this? Like, we don't have these. Um... We don't have anything like this. So yeah. what are you working on now? Have the mothers gone to like the second grade or something like oh, that? Yeah, we're, we're basically, yeah. Like <laughs> The mothers are now in school and they're getting yeah, graded. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a new novel. I can't say much about it, I'm afraid, but it's the same sort of thing. But yeah, I do feel like I'm almost moving up the school years, which is quite funny. And of course, relationships with other mothers are part of it and they change and they're not quite so much the focus in my new novel right but the mums are always important characters you've always got to keep your eye on them yes and what they're up to in the background um for sure but um no I think I was quite interested in when I started writing this novel in the idea of um how there were a lot of people moving out of the city Mm -hmm. yes and suddenly there was this anxiety about living in a city or and whether it was like I, I felt like we there was an interesting crux point for the mothers that I knew or, and the parents that I knew around when your child starts school and there was suddenly this like are we is is should we live here or do we need to move to the suburbs or like you know I was quite interested in that so that's kind of part of it and um and just, yeah, I think uh, just the kind of experience. So it starts with a kind of act of violence oh. and how, um, and so it's kind of, it's a kind of a backwards book. And then, and then it's all about how that plays out and what was behind that and what the kind of implications are for this family. So yeah, Very I'll say that much. <laughs> say that much. Is it a 2025 book? Everything's um, I think that's the hope, yeah. Hope and dream. Hope and dream. Yeah. Well, it was really funny during COVID, everybody fled the city because yeah. they realized that being in the apartment, even if you loved your wife and you're in a one bedroom apartment, it wasn't really good. And if you had yeah. the child stuffed in a closet, all of a sudden they were getting bigger and they couldn't be in that closet anymore. And was a time to move out of the, and a lot of people bought homes without thinking about whether those homes were really in good shape. They just bought a home. And then they said, and we're not even going to do a home inspection. We're just going to buy it. And my friends are going, what did I buy? Like all of a sudden now we live at Home Depot. Like we live buying supplies to fix the house. And I'm like, yeah, that's what happens, you know? Yeah, that yeah. kind of lockdown re regret of people who move. Yeah, that was all really interesting to me. I actually started writing a different novel that was kind of entirely about that. And then I realized that about 25 different thriller writers were doing the same thing. And I thought, nope. <laughs> I, I, read that. I just read that last week I can't do that yeah, exactly I read a brilliant one called I think it's called the people before by Charlotte Northedge which is now being made into a tv series and I just thought well she's done that <laughs> yeah, there we go <laughs> I wouldn't even get unless I'm adapting it I'm out of luck I'm out of yeah. luck now um do you have any film options on either one of your books because if not uh, they should be out there yeah no they are both um I think so Greenwich Park, yes, but the writer's strike has slowed everything down. So I'm yes. not exactly sure what's happening. Right. Um, fingers crossed. Um, and then 
there's kind of lots of discussions going on about the other mothers. So well, but there are, right? And I bet yeah. a lot of people want to play the other mothers, you know, <laughs> me be one of the other mothers, you know, let's go yeah. there. Yeah, it's interesting because the strike, I think we all learned the word force majeure, like what it really means. <laughs> like you have that in a contract and you go, oh yeah, force majeure. What's the big deal? And then you go force majeure. Oh, that's what it means. I have one <laughs> week left and it's not until the strike is over. Oh, that's what it's talking about. Yeah. Mm. Heard a lot of that from authors. And then they're all talking about how the, um, I was reading the film business, I think is going to be off 1 billion in 2024. I was reading that the other day because there's so much not coming out. And a lot of the, Okay, the taste also changed during the time where a lot of the superhero movies are not performing the way they thought they would perform. Yeah. So a lot of the quieter films are what are performing and nobody is set for that. So it's, there's been more changes than just in the authors and in writing business. There's been a lot of changes along the way. Yeah, I think there's, I heard that from my TV agent that basically there's a lot of anxiety and, and uncertainty about what's going to work in the new mm -hmm. environment. And yeah, what, what's going to work, what people are looking for, whether they want to delve into a deep story, what, how far they'll go on watching something. I mean, recently I watched a story um, called Fellow Strangers, I think it's Fellow, Fellow, Fellow Strangers, I think that was what it was called, on the Showtime. And it was about two people who were gay through the 50s and through the 80s, Fellow Travelers. And it was so well done. It's probably like one of the most pitch perfect shows. Yes, there was a lot of nudity and yada 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 but by the same token it was like a brilliant storytelling kind of a thing and I haven't seen a lot of brilliant storytelling like in a nutshell like that and I thought that was really like out there as something that was really good this year and then there are other things that are quiet but we're also getting much more critical I find like we went to see Ferrari in the theaters because my husband and my kids my two sons are car people and um we watch this and we came out and they go okay good beginning Aaron Driver was great a dull, a lull here. And you realize the lull can't be there anymore because we're used to seeing this, 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 this. And 100%. I know so many people, parents who've rewatched the movies they loved as kids with their, with their kind of teenage children. And they're like, this is so slow, mm -hmm. you know, and they just think, well, no, it's going to build, give it a chance. And, but we, yeah, we just expect everything to happen like that now. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think people are tiring of a long series, you know, they don't mm -hmm. like, they're worried about their screen time and they look and they see, oh, great, there's 10 series of this and a thousand episodes. That's just going to suck me in and drain my life. <laughs> Whereas I'm much more attracted to think I really enjoyed Poker Face. I don't know if you watched that, yeah, but just, yeah, yeah. Like, it's very good. Like little each episode is standalone. There, It is a series, but each episode is a standalone murder mystery um, with this brilliant sort of offbeat female detective brilliant and then you can just watch one and you're done and you don't have to you know yeah. you don't feel like with what happened for me when I had my first child with Game of Thrones where it was like okay so I will see you all in six months because I'm now addicted <laughs> to this even though I know it's terrible for my brain and I can't do anything else until I've completed it um so yeah, yeah my husband will come in and go I don't do episodes this is the way he works <laughs> I don't do episodes I said well there's four can you choke through four maybe because yeah I don't know we'll see and then I will also just sit down and watch all eight like I'll stay up till two o'clock in the morning and just do the whole thing and he'll sit there and go I've watched one now I'm gonna go in the hot tub and I'm like one like one that's all we I got there was it's one. so annoying when you watch something together and then they don't want to and you're like what no what? I want to watch another episode like can I finish watching the crown without you and he goes yes I said like, you don't care anymore he goes no and I was like all right I'll finish well, it my husband time. made the same decision this series he was like I'm not feeling it you can watch it on your own 
I like this. You can watch on your own. And he's like, I'm going to go watch hockey. You're on your own. So I don't know. I think the other mothers will be like absolutely great as a, as a show though, because oh, there's such a good so build of it. There's such a good build and there's a backstory and you can go deep into, you've got, you know, we don't talk about all of the characters and this one woman character where they can go into the backstory of and just make it so interesting because there's not just one death, but everybody there's two. And that's, that's really what sparks the real interest in like, how are they related or are they? Yeah. More than two actually. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've got a higher body count this time. <laughs> it's okay, growing right, and growing right, with every right, book. Right. Okay, so this is next time when I read one of Catherine's books, I'm going to go tick one, tick two body, tick three. Let's see how many we get to. Yeah. I'm so, so glad we got a chance to talk again because it was, you know, it was such a pleasure to pick this up and it was like the end of the year and I was like, get that book to me now. I need to read it, you know? So I want to make sure it was one of our 2023 20, Betsons because, you know, it's got to be within the year. You've got to keep everything together. And you were at about six months earlier in the UK. So that's right. We got to yeah. talk about it now. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Book three. I'm waiting on it. I'm waiting on it. Thank you so much. You'll be the first to read it. Thank you <laughs> Thank so, you. so much for having me. Thanks. I look forward to seeing you next time. And to our viewers, look forward to seeing you next time on Book Reporter Talks to as well. If you want to find us, it's the Book Report Network on YouTube or Book Reporter Talks to wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, everyone. Keep listening for an audio excerpt from The Other Mothers by Catherine Faulkner, narrated by Louise Brearley and Dakota Blue Richards, coming up after the credits, courtesy of Simon & Schuster Audio. Thank you for listening to Book Reporter Talks to. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Support us by sharing on social media or by telling a friend about us. And we look forward to next time on Book Reporter Talks To. The show has been produced by Jordan Red Productions. And now, hear an audiobook excerpt from The Other Mothers, narrated by Louise Brearley and Dakota Blue Richards, courtesy of Simon & Schuster Audio. We meet in a room with no windows in a town of pebble-dash houses a high street pockmarked with boards and bookmakers' shops. They have taken me inland, to the nearest station, I assume. Here there is no crash of waves, no call of birds, no cheery stripe of blue peeping out from behind rooftops. In the car on the drive down here, Tom and I had made a game of it for Finn. First one to spot the sea. I had seen it first though I kept quiet to let Finn be the winner. Seeing that sapphire ribbon stretched across the horizon, my heart had lifted, despite everything, at the promise of a holiday. Days on the beach building forts and castles, Finn's feet making perfect prints in the wet sand of the bay. I wondered if they might handcuff me.